Well, how about that for a transition? <laughs> well, here we go. People in the audience, see how it works? It's a little bit different, isn't it? Hey, I want to say thank you to all of our servants who do such a phenomenally excellent job serving us and making sure that this is broadcast so that you can hear what God is saying to you and respond to God in kind. All right, I want to talk about perspective this morning, and I believe perspective is everything. A few years ago, we had a church picnic, many, many years ago, and we hired a local company to do the chicken. They were going to do some barbecue chicken for us, and it was a beautiful thing. This chicken came out of the smoker, out of the barbecue, with a gorgeous smoke ring around it. And I don't know if you're a barbecue connoisseur, but barbecue connoisseurs are always looking for that smoke ring. They're looking for that pink kind of first little bit of the meat and then everything else being cooked, and it just it's a sign that everything was done low and slow, and it's going to be good. And as that, that chicken came out, this was before, I think, barbecue became popular in Western New York, for sure, and before it was all over TV and the internet, and there was uh, the uh, beautiful smoke ring was misinterpreted by somebody who was influential in the church. And maybe it's a little bit different in my mind from what it was like at the moment, but as I remember it, it was almost as if this person was going around and ripping chicken out of people's mouths saying, don't eat it, don't eat it, because when this person saw the smoke ring, they thought pink uncooked chicken. And the result was this. All this chicken started getting thrown into the garbage. And the man who had labored over the barbecue chicken for a church picnic was almost literally in tears. In my memory, he was in tears saying, no, it's good, it's fine, it's perfect. What we had here was a clash of two perspectives. We had the perspective that smoke ring, pink is good, and pink and chicken is bad. And as they came together and the influential voice of the church clashed with the voice of the barbecue pitmaster, we had a disaster on our hands and people went without chicken. Same facts, different outcome because of different perspective. Two different perspectives. Now here's the truth that we need to understand this morning as we're going into God's word. Truths I want us to understand is this. Perspective not only affects the joy of a church picnic, but perspective affects every area of our lives. What we see and how we see it affects how we walk in the kingdom of God. But here's another thing. Perspective not only affects us, but perspective is contagious. Good or bad, true or false, what we see and what we say about what we see affects those around us. I'd say right now, more than ever, in our nation and around the world, we need perspective. We need God's perspective. Because many of us, each one of us, has our own perspective. And what we're seeing right now, all around our country especially, is a clash of perspectives. And in that, we are tempted to get moved and pulled into our own perspective or into a confirmation-biased perspective where we see what we want to see and we, we are in danger of missing what God is saying. And so let us be the people of God who value the perspective of God in such a way that we know when, when whatever we see, we filter it through the kingdom. How much more do we need that, not only for us, but for those around us? Because as the people of God, we are salt and light to the earth. And if the people of God will not walk in the perspective of God, how do we expect the world to see and hear what God is saying? 
It affects not only our own lives, but it affects our entrance into the kingdom. It will affect others' entrance into the kingdom or potential entrance into the kingdom. And this perspective will affect our kingdom living, but it will also affect the kingdom living of those around us. I want to look this morning at a biblical account of a conflict of perspectives and see the consequences of what happens when there is a breakout. We're preaching through a series called Outbreak. When there is a breakout, of bad perspective. Turn with me, if you would, to, uh, we're going to land in Numbers chapter 14, but before we do that, I just want to talk about what Jesus says about perspective. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, it says this, for your eye is like a lamp, and it provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light, but when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with with darkness. And the light you think you have is actually darkness and how deep that darkness is. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, may we be those who have your perspective, your light shining into our eyes. May we see the way you see. Father, I pray that you'd expose those dark places where we don't see well and where we are deceived and the darkness is deep. And God, I pray that as we come into the light, we would be known as you have called us as children of the light who see what you see, and say what you say about it, that your perspective would be ours on every situation of our lives, and the perspective of the kingdom in us and through us would be contagious to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is saying eyes can see well and eyes can see poorly. Jesus offers eyes to see. Literally, physically, he says, he came into this earth and he touched people's eyes that did not see and he offered them physical restoration of sight. But he also offers a spiritual eyes to see. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, here's what he says. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to those who walk with him, those who are willing to go the miles with him, are willing to see from his perspective. He's saying, your eyes are blessed because you see the way I see. He says this, I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. Jesus offers us in our relationship with him, in our willingness to follow him, eyes to see spiritually. And here's what he says, if we miss it, there is hope. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, or sorry, verse 18, in the second part of that verse, it says this, Jesus advising the churches of Revelation, he says, buy from me ointment for your eyes so that you may see. So there's hope for us this morning. If we come to the Lord and our perspective is skewed, we are not automatically judged by God. We are given an opportunity because of the grace of Jesus to walk in a place where we can see the way he sees. He says, come to me and buy from me ointment for your eyes that might be bad so that they may become good, that your life might be filled with life. Let's start with God's perspective on this Numbers 14 thing and then we'll work backwards from that. Here's what it says. There are two ways to see. Numbers 14, verse 20 and 24. This is God's assessment of what happened in chapter 13 and chapter 14 of Numbers. But let's see what he sees first. Let's start with his version his understanding, and we'll work backwards and see where the problems and, uh, came up. Verse 20, it says this, Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. He's speaking to Moses. Moses has interceded for the people of God. God has said, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And God intercedes for them, and he says, I will pardon them. 
because of what we're going to read in just a couple minutes. But here's what he says. As surely as I live, as surely the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will enter the land. They have seen, listen to this, all my glorious, they have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed in both Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again they have tested me, refusing to listen to my voice. God is saying these people are responsible because they should be able to see. They have seen over and over again. They have the right perspective for for themselves, but they have missed it. And he says this, so because they have refused to see it, they will never see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But, and I love the buts in scripture, but my servant Caleb has a different attitude. Other versions say a different spirit, a different ruach, a different spirit that Caleb walked in than the others have had. He remained loyal to me, so I'll bring him into the land he explored, and his descendants will possess their full share of that land. What God is saying here is that his people have an opportunity to have a different spirit, a different attitude than the world around us. Because just as much as perspectives are contagious, attitudes are contagious. And God identified that Caleb had a different attitude. What made his attitude, what made his spirit different than the other people? We're going to read an account where the people of the land did not believe what God was calling them to do. But let's first look at what made Caleb's attitude, his response to what he saw, different. The first was this, that he had obedience and loyalty. He remained loyal to me. Other versions said he has done everything I have asked him to do. Caleb was willing to go with God all the way. John 8, 29 says this, the one who sent me is with me. This is Jesus. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Caleb in the Old Testament possessed the spirit and the attitude of Jesus in the New Testament, or I should say Caleb in the Old Testament possessed the the spirit and the attitude of Jesus in the New Testament because he was willing to walk with God and do whatever God asked him to do. Jesus said uh, his, the Lord's presence, the Father's presence with him was, was because he always did what pleased him. So the different attitude had a obedience and a loyalty, a willingness to go all the way, but it also had a continued belief in the promises of God, faith. Caleb's spirit was different because he operated in faith. He had a faith perspective. See, we're going to read an account of the people of God going in to explore the land of Israel and come back and report what they had seen. And as they did that, the 10 spies, there were 12 spies, Caleb and Joshua reported the same thing as the other 10 spies. But there was a difference in what they should do about it. We'll look at it in a minute. But here's what they were operating under. They were operating under the command of God from Exodus. In other words, the overarching thing that God was telling was not just about the land they were exploring. They didn't just have specific instructions. They had the overarching command of God. And every time we have a command of God, there is always power to walk in victory with that command. Here's what the overarching command from way back was when he delivered them. He said to them in Exodus chapter 6, Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord who freed you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and a great act of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. 
I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. See, the people of Israel, the spies that went into the land to look at and see what God was giving them, were going not just under the instructions of God specifically for spying it out, not just under the instructions of Moses. They were going under the instructions of the Lord who said, tell the people, I am the Lord. Here's what I've done. I've delivered you from Egypt. I'm going to bring you into the land. It will be yours. I will give it to you. And so here's, here, here's where the outbreak of bad attitude happens. Look with me, if you would, at Numbers chapter 13. We're just going to go real quick through it. Twelve men, best of the best, the elite Delta Force, were selected from each tribe. Not twelve from each tribe, but twelve total, and were sent into the land. They were given very specific instructions to go and explore land. They were told to go, where to go, how far to go, what to look at. Tell me if there are walled cities. Tell me if, what kind of people are living there. Tell me about the produce land. Bring some of the produce back. And so the scripture tells us in chapter 13 that they went into the land and they did exactly as they were told. And in verse 25, they come back from exploring the land and the men returned and Aaron and the whole community and Moses and the whole community of the people were there and they reported what had happened to the whole community. They showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. And in verse 27 it says this, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. It's indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the kind of fruit that it produces. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendant of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. They come back from their exploring. They come back from doing what they have been called to do. It was a perfect military operation. They went in. They reported exactly what they were told to report. They went to the places they were called to go. They brought back an accurate report and an accurate representation of the land. And that was the agreed report. But then there was two reports that came out of that. Two, what should we do about the information we have just received? And the first was this, was the minority report, verse 30. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. And here's what he said, let's go at once to take the land, he said, for we can certainly conquer it. Minority report. Here's the majority report. The majority report says this. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread a bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people that we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. We have a competition of perspectives. And I think it's important in this day and age to understand, especially amongst ourselves right now, there are majority reports that are absolutely false. And just because more people stack up on one side of an argument than another does not give that argument more weight. The weight of an argument, of its truth and of its perspective, is not how many people line up in one camp or the other. It's how many people are listening to what God has to say about the report. And so we see that this minority report is released, and then the majority report is released. And what are the consequences? Here's what happens. The results of these reports are in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1. The people believe the majority report. And it has 
an outbreak of bad attitude, of bad perspective. Verse one, the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. The entire community lost their minds about what they saw. And the entire community was filled with weeping all night long. Now, there are appropriate times to weep. There are times when we see from God's perspective and he calls us to weep. But this weeping was not over, what, over something that God had called them to weep over. This was over their own misunderstanding and their own selfishness and their own inability to see what God was doing. They weren't getting it the way they thought they should. And so they went into a community depression. The second thing that happened as a result was they start to protest against their leaders. It says a great chorus rose of protest against Moses and Aaron. When we listen to a report that is not true, when we have a perspective that doesn't involve what God says, we will often find ourselves kicking against leadership. We start to question whether or not the people that God has given us into our lives to speak into our lives are accurate and saying what they ought to say. And our own perspective takes over to the place where we start to rebel against that authority and talk against them. And then not only do we talk against the Lord's, the Lord's leadership, we start to talk against the Lord. They question the Lord's heart and motives. Verse three, why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? That's where they really lose their mind. They think it's better to live in slavery in Egypt than to live in freedom in the desert and walk into what God is calling them to in the promised land. They say, let us go back to our slavery. And they start to plot for new leaders. The results of a perspective that is not the Lord's brings destruction as it's spread among the people. Moses and Aaron have a humble appeal. In verses five through nine of chapter 14, it says that they fell face down on the ground before the entire community. And then Joshua and Caleb tore their clothing. They're operating in humility. They're saying, please, listen to us. And here's what they said, Joshua and Caleb, verse seven. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse eight, do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And even after that humble appeal, from the minority report. Even after the humble appeal of leaders, the people still refuse to come to God's perspective and they rebel. They want to stone Joshua and Caleb and God comes to them and that's where we have this assessment and he says to them, I'm done. He says to Moses, I'm finished with this. And Moses says, please God, don't leave us. Go with us, forgive us. And God in his graciousness forgives the people. And the people realize that they had made a mistake. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 39, we have the results of what they want to do after they come to God's perspective. When Moses reported the Lord's word to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. They got up early the next morning and they went to the top of the range of hills. And let's go, they said. We realize we have sinned, but now we're ready to enter the land the Lord has promised us. 
and it was a little too late. In fact, the scripture accounts that the people went out to fight and to do it, and God says, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm not with you this time, and it costs them. Here's what I want to say, because I want to look at these perspectives for a second, but here's what I want to say. We are responsible for what we see and report and the message that we pass on. We are responsible for our perspective. As those who have seen Jesus, as those who have had Jesus come to our hearts and our lives, as those who have walked with him, we are responsible to see as he sees. Not only to report the facts as they are, but to gain and share God's perspective on the facts. We live in a a day and age when facts are few and hard to come by. I literally read a, a report this morning about the increase of deep fake videos where the technology is so good that it is very hard to understand that even something we see on video, if it's actually accurate. And so we're seeing an increase of videos online that are absolutely fake. They are not the person that the person that's on the video never said or recorded what we're seeing in front of us. And so we're entering into a time as the people of God where we need the discernment of God for the facts. But the facts in this account were not in dispute. What was in dispute is what we should do about it. What was God's perspective? And as the people of God, we're not only responsible to see what's in front of us, but we're responsible to, say, to stop and say, God, what do you see? God, what do you say about not only what's happening in my life, but in the lives of others around us. What do you say about what's happening in our city? What do you say about what's happening in our nation? And in that, we ought not to be pulled by a report that takes us out of the purpose and the will of God. We ought to be diving deeper into, by the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit being borne out in our lives so that we can be the people of God who speak with the voice of God. Because our perspective is contagious. See, here's the truth. The yeah, but kills. Here's what I mean by that. When we report the facts, when we see things as clearly as we possibly can, and we see, see them, and we say, yeah, but, and we add the but, a different perspective than God's, it brings death and destruction to people's lives. But the, and, the but and breathes life. See, we can look at things going on around us that are horrible, and we can say, hey, this is not okay, this is not good. But if we stop there and we don't say, and God says this, then we will miss what God has called us to. We are called to be the people of the yes and. These are the facts, and here's what God is saying. And if we will come to him, he promised he will give us eyes to see as well as ears to hear. In his book, The Top Ten Leadership Lessons of the Bible, Steve Moore highlights four areas where we need better perspective, and I want to go over these just briefly this morning so that we will understand. The first thing we need God's perspective on, a better perspective, is on ourselves. In this account, we have a a group of people that had a very poor perspective of themselves. Look at chapter 13, verse 33. Here's what it says. It says, we even saw giants there. This is the majority report, the 10 spies. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Listen, God is calling us as the people of God to grasshopper moments. We are not called to be the people of God who walk into every situation thinking that we have the answers. We do have the answers, but here's what it is. The answers don't come from us. We are called to walk into places where we feel like grasshoppers, but that's in that place where we walk in and say, but I serve a God that is more powerful than any giant. I serve a God that's more powerful than any circumstance. 
See, it's not about God calling us out of grasshopper moments. He's bringing us to those grasshopper moments, but we cannot adopt a perspective that sees ourselves like other people see us. How did the spies, how could they possibly know what the other people thought? In fact, they got it wrong in what they thought. We need to stop running from our grasshopper moments. Gideon experienced a grasshopper moment when the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Uh, Gideon in uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 15 says this, but Lord, there's that and but that kills, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. See, comparison with others kills. Hearing the voice of God brings life. When we compare, we see other people as lesser so that we can feel more important. We see other people as greater and we feel insecure. Listen, it's deep ditches on both sides and the enemy could care less which one you choose. God's perspective on Gideon was this, 6.12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. A mighty hero or warrior indicates a person as a mighty force because of great wealth, a strong army, or a depth of character. The, 12 spy, or the 10 spies did not have a proper perspective on themselves. They saw themselves as other people saw them rather than the way God saw them. Caleb and Joshua believed, according to Numbers 14.9, that the Lord was with them. And that changed their perspective on themselves. The second thing that we need better perspective on is on the situation that's in front of us. Caleb and Joshua in chapter 9 of verse 14 give a final plea for perspective. They said, don't do this. Don't go this way. Please listen to what we're saying. But here's what's interesting. 40 years later, their perspective was confirmed. In Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, we have the story of Rahab. The people are going into the land. Forty years later, God says, you're you're not going to enter this land. The people will go in later. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones of that generation that entered into the land. And as they were getting ready to go in, Joshua sent spies out again. And this time they went to the, the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And Rahab told them, confirmed what they had not seen 40 years earlier. She confirmed that the people were afraid all along. That the minority report of Joshua and Caleb was right all along. She says, listen, we heard what God did with you when he freed you from Egypt, and we've been waiting all this time in fear because of what you were, what, that you were coming, because the Lord was with you. Literally, 40 years later, the minority report was confirmed. That was the reality. But when we refuse to see what God sees, we can cause an entire generation to miss what God is saying. Listen, let's not wait for hindsight. Let's not be the people that wait for hindsight, which is 2020. Let's be the people who right now take advantage of what God has given us, which is an invitation to see and hear him accurately. Don't ask, why is this happening to me? Ask who is in charge. That is the ultimate perspective question. I don't know about you, but maybe you've walked into some circumstances that have been really difficult, and I've done this, and I ask, why is this happening to me? God, why do I have to go through this? Why am I called into this difficulty? Let's stop asking why we're here and let's start asking in every one of those situations who's in charge because when we ask who's in charge, we find out the Lord is in that situation. He has brought us to that moment and he is bringing about his purpose in the earth in that. And if he's with us, 
who can be against us. God uses everything in our lives to prepare us for everything else in our lives. The third thing that we need is a better perspective on our strategy. Did you know that hope is not a strategy? But if you have no hope, it's going to kill your ability to get perspective. Let me say that again. Hope, is not, hope by itself is not a strategy. But if you have no hope, God says, now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. If you don't have hope, you will not be able to get perspective. If you don't have perspective, you won't have strategy. Caleb's strategy in Numbers 13.30 was powerful. What did he say? He says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. How many of you know that's a powerful perspective? That's a powerful strategy. Let's not wait. Let's walk into what God has. The ten spies and the rest gave in to hopelessness. And the truth is this, hopelessness leads to foolishness. And we saw that in the response of people. When they became hopeless, they lost their minds. Let's get new leaders. Let's go back to Egypt. Caleb and Joshua had perspective on strategy all along. They said, don't rebel against the Lord. Let's do what he says. In fact, the people of God, when they regained hope in their forgiveness, they got a new strategy. And they decided, we're going to go out and do this on our own. And they needed, the, they needed the, uh, the strategy of God. And God said, don't do it this time. Don't put out a new strategy in the midst of things and, let, and assume that it's God's will. The strategy for yesterday might not be the strategy for today. We live in a time that's constantly shifting around us. Our God does not shift, but he will give us the wisdom if we will come to him to see what the strategy is for today. What does he want? What, what was the word that he spoke over our lives that brings us into freedom? How can we walk in that? And how does it look to walk in it today? Let's not assume that we know it. Discernment is more important than strategy. Listen, we can have the best strategy in the world, but if we are not walking in intimate relationship with God and hearing what he says for today, we can often find ourselves way off in the deep end of a strategy that was for two or three years ago. And it's struggle, and it's difficulty, and we feel alone and abandoned. And it's not because God's abandoned us. It's because we've just kept doing what we thought we should do rather than seeking the Lord of the universe who is available to us daily, moment by moment, to give us his perspective. He does not change, but his strategies often do. A better perspective on strategy hinges on our ability to discern the course of action that will be permeated by the presence of God. And in closing, the fourth thing that we need is a perspective, a better perspective on our success. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 17. See, oftentimes, as the people of God, we will enter into a battle and we will see the Lord come through on our side. And in that place, we will be tempted to have a bad perspective on what that battle looked like. We'll have bad perspective. We'll think we did it. We'll think that the success came from our strategy. We'll, we'll think that the success came because we had a good understanding of the situation that we are facing. But the truth is this. Our success comes from the Lord. In Exodus chapter 17, Verses 8 and 9, it says, While the people of Israel still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. 
And Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men and go out and fight the army of Amalek for us tomorrow. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. And in verse 11 it says this, as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. And some of you have heard this story before. The, the, the assistance of Moses hold up his arms so that the people of God can have victory. And at the end of this victory, in verse 14, it says this, After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder. And there's this interesting phrase here, and read it aloud to Joshua. This is a permanent reminder for everybody, but make sure Joshua understands. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which is the Lord is my banner. Joshua needed to understand that the surges, the victory came as peoples, as Moses was looking to the Lord. As Moses was obedient to the Lord, as Moses worshiped the Lord in that place and followed the instruction of the Lord. What does that tell us? Understand, Joshua, from your very first battle, know and gain the perspective that victory comes from God. I think it's so important that Joshua saw this because later when he's leading the people into the land, they're about to fight and take Jericho. The angel of the Lord appears to Joshua and Joshua says, are you friend or are you foe? And what does the angel say? He doesn't even, he's like, it's not am I on your side. He says, I'm the captain of the Lord's armies. And in that moment, Joshua understood. It's my perspective must be not what's right in front of me, but what is God doing? Where is he fighting? Where is he leading me? Where is he taking the people of Israel? How will I gain God's perspective? Because the battle belongs to the Lord, and he is moving his people into his purposes. I don't know about you, but right now we need an outbreak of perspective in our world. We need an outbreak of perspective in our hearts. How will the people of God be salt and light in a situation where our nation is divided if we have a perspective that is not from the Lord? And the truth is this. We read it in the scripture that we started with. Oftentimes, the darkness that we have is overwhelming and we don't even perceive it. So what if the people of God, all of us today, myself included, stopped and said, God, what do you see? Father, what's your perspective? Like we read in the opening scripture, God, search my heart and know me. Because he promised to lead us in the way everlasting. He promised that if we find ourselves in a position where we can't see well, where our perspective is broken and it has released brokenness in our lives or brokenness in the lives of those around us, because it's contagious. He promised that he has salve, ointment for our eyes so that we can see the way he sees. So we can have his perspective. And I believe this, God is leading the people, his people, into an outbreak of perspective that will change the earth. 
There is a time that God is walking his people through that as everything is stripped away, everything is not normal, things don't look right, our nation is in turmoil, people have been isolated. It is the moment that God, by his spirit, is breaking out among his people with a perspective, if we will listen to him, that will change not only our own lives, but cause us to be the people that lead a generation to the perspective of God, that lead a generation to salvation, that lead a generation to the purposes of God being accomplished, but it will not happen unless we agree to see it his way. So will we come to him for for perspective this morning? Will we agree to not only see accurately, but will we respond in faith and report accurately what the Lord is doing? Will we not say, yeah, but, but will we say, yes, and? Here's what God has to say. He says to you and to me that we can have eyes to see. Let's invite him to do that for us today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, before you right now, repent for every time that we have given into our own way of thinking that we have believed the report of someone else's perspective over yours, whether it's about us or about situations that we're facing. God, we repent for those times that we have been so inundated with other opinions that we have forgotten to ask you about yours. Lord, we repent for those times where we become so busy in doing what we think we ought to do that we forget to stop and hear your voice. We repent for those times where we have walked around thinking that we have light coming into our eyes, but there is darkness. God, we repent for every one of those. God, we pray that you bring exposure to the motivations of our own heart that are not with you. God, that you'd bring exposure to the perspective that we have adopted from others Does it cause us to whine and wail and rebel and question you and your motives and your goodness? Cause us to live out in a willful disobedience, to do what we want to do, to, to, to seek after the reward without seeking after your face and your perspective. We thank you that you hear us. We thank you that you are forgiving and loving and that in Jesus you have given us an opportunity to have our perspective restored. So God, come and heal us. Bring healing to our eyes. Bring healing to our vision. And God, empower our words by your spirit that we would not only see and hear what you are doing, but you would give us the ability to speak it and release a different word. May we be the people who walk like Caleb did with a different attitude, with a different spirit, because we have a different perspective we see from your eyes. And God, may we be gracious and humble in our sharing of that perspective. May we be like your servants, the most powerful leaders, bowing before you, tearing our garments and begging those who don't know you to come to you. And God, as that happens, may we be the ones who continually come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Well, Jake's coming now to close us. I just want to say it has been a privilege for these past few months to preach digitally, but I can't wait till we're together. It's going to be a glorious time. Come with expectation that God is going to meet us in a fresh, new way as our hearts are ready to receive his perspective. God bless you. Jake. If you, were, if you were listening, there was so much gold in that message. There was so much prophetic gold um, in that message, and I'm thankful. The Lord opened, literally opened my eyes um, as I was listening. Um, I feel like he even put the ointment on my eyes to have a new perspective. Thank you, Pastor Josh, for the message. It's amazing that like, we can have the courage to chase God's dreams for our lives like Joshua and Caleb did. Because of the finished work of the cross, there's no striving in the love of God. <laughs> we have nothing to gain and nothing to prove. We just have his presence, and his grace is so good. That's what it really means to buy that ointment. I just want to challenge everyone this week um, to read that verse in Revelation. Uh, Revelation three seventeen. It says, you say, I am rich. Um, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And yet you don't realize you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's how we are without God's perspective. And Jesus says, so I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see more. See, that's, that's what it means to buy the perspective that Pastor Josh preached about, the, the perspective of Joshua and Caleb. It's that we bring our brokenness and our fear and our wretchedness and our nakedness to the Lord, and he gives us a new perspective. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that awesome message. Well, I just want to close us out with a few announcements. We're so excited for what's coming up this week. <laughs> um, we're excited for, for you um, to be back and experience God's presence in this building. Um, you can use the website and our church app for small group availability as well as your giving. And then this week we have a digital marriage conference, one hour a night, okay? Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 8.30. So you have time to put the kids to bed, get some popcorn or some ice cream or some carrots and celery, uh, and settle in for a nice date with your spouse. So make sure you register today. And here's why you want to register today. Because you miss your pastor and his wife, Lori, our fearless, amazing leaders, so much that you want them to personally visit your house tomorrow with this swag box. Okay? So register today. Pastor Josh and Lori are handing these out tomorrow. Let's just load them up with meetings tomorrow. Let's make them drive around from like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Maybe later, not past 8, maybe 6 to 7.45. And let's just load up their day. It might be nice to make them some cookies or have some, you know, some seltzer water or something available to them when they come and meet with you. But let's load them up. You get a swag bag. It's going to be a great weekend with our marriage conference this weekend. Well, hey, thanks for being with us on Facebook. We're so excited, like we said, for what God is doing. And we love you. We miss you. We can't wait to see you. And we hope you have a wonderful week. God bless.